Tonight, oil prices, well, they could go even higher, and the Fed is about to take center stage. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac, who is off tonight. Andy Schaefer is going to be joining us later in the show. You know, if we as we kick off this week, Wall Street has a lot to focus on. Of course, the Russian war in Ukraine and the Federal Reserve. So joining us tonight with his great perspective on this, digging into the numbers and data, Andy Stout. He's the chief investment officer for Allworth. Andy just manages, you know, billions of dollars for our clients from right here in Cincinnati. So you're keeping your finger on the pulse of a lot of these things, Andy. And let's face it, there's a lot going on right now. Yeah. I mean, if you look at just what's going on in the world, you already mentioned the Russian war. You mentioned the Fed hiking interest rates and they're all connected to inflation right that's something that we've been talking about for a very long time and when we look at how these things are interconnected it certainly makes a somewhat complex puzzle a little bit more complex especially when you start to think of how will monetary policy what will the federal reserve do like what's their reaction function that's a fancy economic word i like to use how will the fed respond to these things and what are the implications for that it's 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 quite fascinating yeah, that's one word for it. Stressful might be another one, I think, for a lot of us <laughs> investors. But let's look at what's going on in Ukraine with Russia. Um, and just obviously from a pure humanitarian standpoint, awful. The images Absolutely. and videos, awful. Um, but of course, our job here is to look at it from the money perspective, the economic perspective of this. Um, let's talk about, I mean, we're, we're several, several, like what, a week and a half into this now. Let's talk about what, what we're seeing as the impact of this so far. Well, when we think about just the economic impact, Europe is going to be impacted much more so than the United States. They're close from a uh, a geography perspective, but they also are closer from an economic perspective, importing about 40% of their uh, natural gas coming from Russia. So that's, that's a big deal. And then over the weekend, uh, we saw some news hit the wires that the U.S. and its allies were talking about a Russian energy embargo, so essentially cutting Russia and ener- Russia's energy off from the rest of the world or the developed world at least. Now that caused—I uh, don't know about you, Amy—but last night when commodity future opened, I, I was watching to see what would happen, uh, and I saw oil uh, WTI, which is what we use in here in the United States, that spiked up to $130 a barrel. The oil nice. that's used mostly outside of the North America, uh, that's Brent crude, that got up to 139 a barrel. So that was definitely a big shock, considering we were about 115 or so at the end of last week. Now it's well, come I down. Dig, I want to dig into yeah. this, Andy, because I think it's really easy when we hear news that you know world leaders are talking about this uh, to say yes, like stick it to Putin, right? Like any way that we can shut him down, great. But from an economic standpoint. Um, there's a larger impact that I think we need to be aware of. Talk about what happens if we truly do go down that path. Yeah. So, you know, if we go down that path and right now everything's driven by headlines. And if you just think about if Russian oil is cut off from the rest of the world for Europe, it's likely very recessionary. There's, mm. I, don't, I don't see how you get around that uh, just because of their dependence there. The United States, it would take a certainly an economic hit here in the U.S., but it's not necessarily recessionary or not as reliant on Russia. Russia does account for about 8% of uh, global oil, but we're relatively 
independent uh, from an energy perspective. Now, if you look at the amount of rigs in production, we're about a third of where we've been uh, from an historical standpoint. They are ramping up production there, but we're not quite where to, you know, we've been at some other uh, times when we've had high oil prices like this. So I would expect the rigs to uh, get used a little bit more frequently in the, in the months ahead, just because it's profitable for energy companies to do so. I mean, why not? So when we think about the economy, Europe would be in some trouble. The U.S. It would be hurt, but not so much if we go down this path. But again, this morning, though, uh, Germany pulled back from that. Mm. They just said this morning, hey, we're not looking at any sort of embargo on Russian energy uh, products. So that allowed oil prices to come down from those lofty levels. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC. We're joined by our chief investment officer, Andy Stout, as we are every Monday, digging into, my gosh, so much going on uh, across the globe and what it means to all of us, to our 401ks. I think one question, Andy, that a lot of people had, um, especially last week when we kind of uh, you know, started to look closer and closer what was going on over there is, how much exposure do I have right, to Russia, to Ukraine um, yeah. in, my, in my 401k? Right? How much am I going to take a hit personally from this? Um, and some things have developed over the past few days that will actually impact that. Yeah, absolutely. So first, when you think about Russian exposure in certain types of funds, whether it be a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund, uh, they do track different asset classes. Now, there are some ETFs that are Russian ETFs only or hold Russian stocks only. Uh, and those are I know they're they're not used as frequently as what I would call a more diversified emerging stock emerging market stock index. So when we look at those index funds that track the broad emerging market, Russia typically makes up about three to four percent uh, of the total securities. So it's not much. They don't have much of a market in general. But it's still some exposure. And I know there are people here in the United States that are just uncomfortable owning anything Russian just yeah. because of what the uh, Vladimir uh, Putin has done. So sure, they just don't want any part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's understandable. Now, a lot of that's out of the control of a lot of, um, you know, advisors or fund providers. But what I'll say is because how Russia has been cut off from the rest of the world, from a financial perspective, mm -hmm. the uh, securities, the Russian stocks, they've essentially become uninvestable. So you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't do anything with them. So what happened last week, your major index providers like MSCI, S&P, Dow Jones, FTSE, what they all did, they removed Russian indexes from, or Russian stocks from their indexes. Now, what about funds that track those indexes? Because you can't invest in an index. What the funds are doing that I've seen so far is they're essentially writing the value of, the, of those Russian securities down to zero. Mm -hmm. uh, or more technically, what I've been saying is like a, a tenth of a penny is what they're actually valuing it at. So effectively, uh, U.S. investors, if they have an emerging market uh, index tracking fund, or a mutual fund, uh, then they probably have virtually zero exposure to Russian stocks. You know, and I think when we talk about what's going on in Russia, um, obviously we don't live in silos here, and the impact is being felt here in the U.S. Um, the Federal Reserve, right, is just, um, what, a week away from making a, a, an announcement about where they think interest rates are going to go. And 
already this was a sort of tightrope situation for the Fed um, as far as, you know, getting inflation under control, but also not hiking us into a recession. Then you put this war on top of that. And it's not a job that I would want. <laughs> um, but let's talk about really what the Fed is considering now. Yeah, if you thought uh, calculus in college was difficult, think Ugh. of the calculus the Fed is having to deal with right now with My all goodness. of these moving pieces. If we go back just a few weeks ago, it, there was about a 100% chance that the Fed was going to raise short-term interest rates by half a point or 50 basis points. Since the uncertainty erupted over in Ukraine and Russia, that's no longer on the table. And when Fed Chair Jerome Powell was before Congress last week, he endorsed a quarter point hike uh, as, as opposed to the half point that was mentioned a few weeks ago. Powell did say, though, that they would consider a half point hike at possibly multiple meetings uh, down the road, depending on how inflation um, you know, progressive, progresses in the months ahead. Now, historically, Andy, the Federal Reserve wouldn't make a change right now, right? I mean, when you've got such geopolitical instability, but they kind of don't really have a choice at this point because inflation is what we've seen at, what, 40-plus year yeah. high. Uh, so they're kind of – it's sort of forcing their hand right now. Yeah, and we're going to get some new inflation numbers this week, Amy, when CPI, which is Consumer Price uh, Index, Inflation for Consumer Prices, is released. And economists are expecting it to come in at 7.9% higher on a year-over-year -year basis. Conventional wisdom was that we would start to see inflation drop in the months ahead following the February release. Uh, but because oil has soared as much as it has, that seems that the peak for inflation is probably not here quite yet. So that's certainly mm. changed everything. And you think back to prior times when you've seen the uncertainties surrounding the economy and high inflation, it certainly um, makes people think about the early 1980s, late 70s, when uh, legendary Fed chair Paul Volcker killed inflation by hiking uh, short-term interest rates into double digits. Now, will we see anything like that? I seriously doubt it, but yeah. I will say there was uh, an interesting moment uh, during Fed Chair Jerome Powell's testimony to Congress over the weekend. Uh, Alabama Senator, uh, he, he talked about um, inflation and Volcker and how he hiked us into a recession to stop inflation. And then what he ended up doing, he asked Powell if Powell was prepared to do whatever it takes to get inflation under control. And Powell said, and I quote, I hope history will record that the answer to your question is yes. Oh, wow. So keeping a close eye on this, because, of course, the concern here and, and this is what, I, you know, you and I have had conversations about this multiple times. There's there's so much kind of instability and in, across the world. And we've seen uh, so much volatility since the beginning of this year. But if I had to say this is what keeps me up at night, it would be the Federal Reserve and how they move forward with these interest rate hikes and the concern about hiking us into a recession. Yeah. So when you think back to the early 80s, I mean, that period was a stagflationary period, which is high inflation and little to no growth and actually a couple of recessions in the early 80s as well. You know, are we going to go down that path? I would say it's not the baseline scenario, but the chances of that have increased. I mean, you can't deny that. I mean, the statistics are the statistics. Yeah. But when you, when you think about just the bigger picture, you know, we still see economic growth here in the U.S. Recession risk is still low. 
Now, a more aggressive Fed does certainly make that a little bit more tricky because they could hike us into a recession, as you were just saying. But still, currently, recession risk is low. And, you know, obviously, when we think about the big picture, there are certain areas of the market that's going to be more attractive than other areas of the market. Mm -hmm. But it really all comes down to also for clients, because there is a heightened period of uncertainty. It's uh, sticking to any sort of plan or financial plan that might be in place, because those are great guides during periods of uncertainty. They've worked in the past and, you know, they'll probably continue to work in the future. Here's the Simply Money point. Right now, we still see a low risk of recession in the near term, but there are a lot of variables and unknowns. We'll let you know if and when we see things start to change. Keep in mind, though, our economy is still fundamentally very sound. Getting a tax refund? We have some suggestions on what to do with it next. And his grandparents gave him nearly three quarters of a million dollars for college. Only one big problem, and it's got us talking. Andy Schaefer's jumping in to weigh in on that with me in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Mimi Wagner along with Andy Schaefer. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, we'll subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. So you might have thought about this before, but a woman actually needs to plan differently for retirement than a man. We're going to explain the reasons why straight ahead at 643. Are you someone who was taught to respect your elders? Andy, I know the answer to that is without a doubt, yes, for you. You're a super respectful person. So this next story probably gets your blood boiling. This is a guy who college age went to his grandparents for money, um, ended up in over the course of several, several years, taking three quarters of a million dollars from his grandparents, never stepped foot on campus. This story is crazy to me, and um, it made me think of two friends of mine that are a little bit older. They're, both their names are, are Jack. I call them the pair of Jacks. And we talk <laughs> about stuff that's going on um, as far as current events are concerned, and I cannot wait to tell them about this story. So <laughs> this this kid, he he tricked his grandfather. His own grandparents. Into um, the fact that he was he said that he was going to the University of Oxford. Yes. And also another secondary school, Assumption College in Massachusetts. And they kept, he kept having them send him money, and he made up these uh, false statements and transcripts and even conducted emails from a fake professor uh, to the tune of $679,000 over a period of time. And it just – it does make my blood boil, and I can't believe – a grandson would take advantage of his grandparents like this. Yeah, so and apparently over the course of the years that this was happening, his grandfather passed away, and then he came to his grandmother, right, with this great investment opportunity from some uh, Oxford professor, which she, of course, then invested in. So, I mean, he had a couple of different schemes going on over the course of several years, but yes, ultimately only targeting his own grandparents, and now he's pleaded guilty to, to ripping them off. Um, and facing, you know, all kinds of things as a result of that. But, you know, we warn people about scams, but this is even harder to talk about because it's it's a loved one, right? I mean, it's someone, your, your grandchild. I've heard some stories about people that have done something like this where they say, oh, Dad, I need to get, you know, some new books for class or textbooks or whatever, and they pocket the money and go buy beer or whatever they do with it. I've heard of things like that before. Yeah. But this kind of money and a scheme that's been going on for so many years, and I guess his family started to figure out about it and started asking him questions, and he doubled down. He started creating fake emails, 
and um, you know started to create a, a, a fund that he was investing in, and eventually it caught up to him. And I don't understand how you can go through life with that type of stress over your head, knowing that yeah. you're, you've been doing this. You know, yeah. is that money worth the daily stress that you have thinking about? you know, this type of criminal activity that you're doing to your own family. Yeah. I just I mean, don't understand it. And, you know, we certainly don't want to say, like, don't trust your family members. Um, but, yeah, if there are signs there from anyone, right, that just something doesn't add up, right, that they're asking you to give money for, um, ask questions, right? Ask lots of questions. Do your research. You're listening to Simply Money Tonight here on 55KRC. Let's talk about tax refunds, because if you're getting money back, we would say, remember this. The government is regifting your money back to you without interest. So we would prefer you don't get money back at all. But if you are getting a refund rather than, you know, blowing it immediately, we've got some suggestions for you. Well, one of the things you can do is you can boost your emergency fund. You know, you want to achieve financial security and you want to do that by, you know, plan plan for unexpected events. You don't ever know when something's going to occur, whether you need a new hot water heater or your roof is leaking or things like that. In addition, you know, when we are in the midst of a correction like we are now or a recession like we were back in 2020 in March, it's great to have a little bit of extra cash in your hands so that you can um, refrain from taking distributions when the market's down. Um, I always get a little bit irritated myself if I ever get money back from the government because you're basically giving Uncle Sam an interest-free loan on your money, yeah. right? So, you know, I know a lot of people don't like having to pay that bill at the end of the year during tax time, but think about it. You know, if you can utilize that money longer and keep that money in your bank account or your investment account, you can take advantage of using that money and pay it to the government, um, you know, the latest time that you can. Yeah, you've got control over it. You know, another thing you can do is contribute to an IRA. Um, And this is a great thing that you can do um, to bring down your taxable income. So if you haven't already filed your taxes for this year, you can do it for right now, and it can count for your 2021 taxes. Or if you have already filed your taxes, kind of keep this in the back of your mind for next year. This is just kind of a tool that we all have. But if, you know, you want to pay the least amount, right, in taxes every year, and this is something that you can do, you're investing in yourself, that money's not going to Uncle Sam, it's going to your future. Yeah, depending on what IRA you're eligible for, whether it's a Roth IRA or um, a traditional IRA that's deductible, you might be able to deduct some of those contributions. And, you know, for 2021, um, the, the maximum is 6000 If you're over 50, it's seven. Um, but you can certainly double double up your contributions. You can make one for last year if you haven't already done so up until April 15th or, or the tax deadline. And you can also do one for this year. So you can, you know, if you're over 50, you can put in 14000 for yourself and 14000 for your spouse and make sure that you are using that money to your advantage. Yeah, another thing we would say is if you have any debt, especially high interest debt, right, credit card debt hanging over your head, do not get that refund and buy the new furniture or go (laughs) on the trip. Pay off that debt and then keep it erased from your books, right? Don't go into debt again. Yeah, and if you have a number of credit cards that are open, um, you know, one of the – one of the theories and one of the um, one of the approaches that you can take is identify the one that has the biggest um, interest rate on it. You know, yeah. let's say you have one that's fifteen percent or whatever it may be. You know, attack that one first, um, and then proceed to you know go ahead and look at the other ones in a, in descending order and make sure that you identify those because that's a lot of money you're paying on those credit cards. So that's something you definitely want to tackle. Absolutely. And if you have your emergency fund in place and you don't have any high interest debts and you feel like you've contributed to your IRAs, um, then maybe set aside a special savings account for, for purchases like 
big trips, right? We haven't gone out there and traveled a lot since this pandemic. We, you know, we deserve it. If though we're making smart decisions with the money, here's a simply money point. If you get a refund, consider investing it. Something we think you should do before it ever gets to Uncle Sam in the first place. If you're thinking of buying or selling a home right now, you'll get the current lay of the land from our real estate expert. That's ahead at 634. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, we keep thinking that the real estate market is going to normalize at some point. I mean, it has to, right? Joining us tonight is our real estate expert, Michelle Sloan. She's broker of Remax Time, host of Sloan Sells Homes, open house Sundays at 4 o'clock on 55KRC. She knows a lot about this business. Let's just say that. Michelle, <laughs> has it slowed down? I mean, I keep thinking it has to. I would like to think that it has to, but as of right this minute, the market is crazier and hotter than it's ever been. And some of the statistics that I'm going to be talking with you about today is more about the frenzy that is the real estate market. And a frenzy. We have, it's, a, it's an absolute frenzy. And okay. the buyers are... Uh, they're out of their mind. <laughs> I mean, it's just, <laughs> and not in a good way. It's really very, very unfortunate because we have the inventory now is lower, historically low. You know, we were talking about interest rates being historically low and that was all well and good. But now the inventory, we've been talking about it for the last two or three years. It keeps getting lower and lower and lower, lower. The latest statistics show that in January in the Cincinnati market, there were only 1,300 homes on the market in all of Cincinnati. Wow. That is a record low number. And in comparison, we have higher buyers, higher numbers of buyers than ever before. So that's where the whole frenzy part comes in. Michelle, and I would have thought, though, because we've got interest rates that are starting to rise, right? I would think some people might jump out of the market. Well, I think that a lot of buyers right now are, they're so frustrated because they've written two, three, four offers mm. that they are going to sit on the sidelines at least for a little bit until the inventory tries to get a little bit stronger. Um, and we did anticipate with higher interest rates right now, they're right, they're hovering right around 4%, which still is historically low. It's just not as low as it was a year ago. So, you know, you have to take that into perspective, especially for first time home buyers who are looking to buy their first home. You know, they're promised a, a rate and a payment based on sales price. Well, now the sales prices continue to increase at a six and a half to seven percent increase year over year. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, I had a listing over the weekend that sold for, I didn't even figure out the percentage, but it was a $400,000 home. It ended up selling for about $60,000 higher than list price. So, are you kidding list, me? No. List price right now is. Uh, just a suggestion of where you start. <laughs> and, and Michelle, you've been in this business a long time. I mean, have you ever seen anything no. close to this before? No, frankly, you know, and again, it's really, really difficult. I was on the good side of it because I was the listing agent. I was helping the sellers. So we had 72 scheduled showings. Oh my gosh. 72 scheduled showings. And we ended up getting 14 really strong offers. There was 14 not one offers. 
14 offers and none of those offers were, you know, all of them were at least 10,000 over list price. Oh. Now I did not, here's the thing. I absolutely did not underprice that home. Yeah, It's just the way the market is. And there is such a demand right now. That demand, I do not see because of, you know, seven, 72 showings on one property in the Bonkers. 400s is ridiculous. So just imagine those 72 buyers are looking for a home. And in contrast, we may have two or three new listings in a given market every single week. Imagine the entirety of Cincinnati only having 1,300 homes on the market at any given time. That, I mean, those numbers can really kind of blow you away. So it is important if you're a buyer, you, ha you have to stick with it. It's very frustrating and it is, it's a slow process and you have to be willing to do some things that I never in my 20 years in this business, Amy, I never thought I would tell someone, you know, if you really want it, you have to pay more than the appraised price. Wow. which means you have to bring more money to closing than your mortgage is going to be worth. And you're going to have to waive your inspections or at the very least only do inspections for information purposes only. So if you see a broken, uh, I don't know, you know, the, the window pane, yeah. or if you see some small minor drips on a faucet or something like that, the days of asking for a hundred things on an inspection report <laughs> are over. Absolutely. 100% over. You cannot ask for these things. You have to know that you are going to have a, take a home as is, and then deal with the comp consequences afterwards. We're talking to our real estate expert, Michelle Sloan. She's a broker for Remax Time tonight with just some interesting insights into this the market. We thought it was going to cool down at some point. It seems like it's been hotter than ever. Michelle, just from a practical standpoint, walk me through. So I call you today and I say, I'm looking for a home, a $300,000 range. I'm ready to jump <laughs> into the market. What do I have to do to get prepared and what do I need to expect? Well, you need more than just a pre-approval at this point. You actually need to already go with a lender and get into underwriting. And that means wow. you have to provide in advance. You have to decide in advance who your lender is going to be. Provide them with all of your details, meaning all of your uh, your W-2s, your you know tax statements, uh, all of the things that they will need from a lender's perspective and get pre really truly pre-approved to the point where all you have to do is attach a an address and a price to your home and you're off to the races. And then so, of course pack your patience, right? Because you're not you're oh, likely going to get the first home that you bid on. Probably not. And here's the thing, like I said, you know, if you are prepared and I wrote another offer that didn't get accepted for one of my buyers over the weekend in Madeira, you know, we were $40,000 over list price. Oh gosh. And we were willing not we, my buyers were willing to any appraisal gap, any amount less than the appraised price, they were willing to bring that cash to closing in addition to whatever their down payment was going to be. They were willing to take that chance to get that house and they didn't get the house. And the agent told me, guess what? The price was even $20,000 higher in the oh end. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, it really takes a lot of 
potential buyers out of the running for so many homes. So my advice, honestly, if you want a home in today's market, maybe you get a, you may need to get uh, a little bit of cash inflow from a relative to help you make up the difference. Get some help, yeah. prepare ahead, you, you great may, insights. You may this, need to get some help, yeah. Yeah, this market is crazy. Great insight tonight from Michelle Sloan, broker for Remax Time, host of Sloan Sells Homes, Open House Sundays, four o'clock on 55KRC. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner. Steve Sprovac is off this week. Andy Schaefer is joining us. If you're shopping around for a car, do you know you'll need to take out, you know you need to take out a loan, but make sure you get our advice following a new report about loan offers that has us really concerned. We'll tell you what you should be looking for straight ahead. You know, when people plan out their retirement, you may not know this, but women actually have to think about this far differently than men do. Uh, and Andy, one reason is women on average live longer. And I know you plan for that. Yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee, but you know, women need to be prepared to see at least their early 80s. Uh, men's mortality rate hovers around 76. Now, the clients that I see, I anticipate, you know, in, in um, unless there's specific health issues within your family, I anticipate um, a woman's life expectancy to 93 and, and the men's to 91 because you do not want to underestimate, right? When you're yeah. putting a financial plan together, you don't want to say, ah, well, you know, 76 is the mortality rate for men. And you don't want to fall short of that. What if you live to be 95 and you run yes. out of money in the meantime? So, yeah, we definitely plan for that. It's important to understand. And, you know, what I find a lot with my clients is, you know, the women do tend to live longer. You know, I have a lot of, you know, unfortunately in this business, you lose some clients. And I lose probably three to five a year. And it's usually the husband that's gone first. So, you know, there's definitely one area where you need to be particular about your financial plan if you're a woman. Well, and I think that brings up a great point, Andy, as far as, you know, historically and in, in years and years ago, um, we I was in a situation where um, I was working with an advisor who uh, paid more attention to my husband at the time than to me. Right. I wasn't even in the room. And I was like, wait a second. I understand. Doesn't that drive you crazy? Yeah, it does. And so, you know, I think. Many advisors have come to realize, like, no, this relationship needs to be not just with the man who many times just, I don't know, it goes back to the 60s or something where just men have always kind of felt, you know, controlling the money. I think women are kind of kind of moving in that direction. But the relationship with the advisor needs to be with both the man and the woman. I make sure when I meet my clients in the lobby before we go into our office that I always greet the woman first, just just out of habit. Yeah. Um, you know, you tend, you know, historically speaking, most of the times um, the men are the financial drivers as far as the information is concerned with investments. Um, and you talked about the 1960s and it wasn't until the 1960s that women had the right to open a bank account in their name. You know, and, that's crazy. Yeah. And that, that nuts. Yeah. Um, you know, and even you know, like I said, men today are more commonly identified as financial providers. Uh, so women need to be extra involved with their own financial lives. And that means you're brushing up on your personal finances. You know, a lot of times I'll have one client, one of the spouses that's kind of the driver, and maybe they only come into meetings, and I don't see the other one very often. I try to encourage them, especially when they get older, yeah. you need to at least sit in these meetings and understand what's going on and have an idea and know what we're talking about. So it is important, um, you know, if you are a woman and you and you don't 
aren't involved in your finances to participate. So if something happens, that you're prepared for it. Well, and let's talk about that, Andy, um, because th- there are situations where the men, you know, largely controls everything. And, and talk about what those conversations are like with the women who maybe they've recently lost their husband. Mm-hmm. They're they're sad. They're emotional. They're overwhelmed. And now they're dealing with something, the money, right? Bills are coming in. They don't know where all the accounts are. Um Explain what that's like. For well, those women I th- in that you know, it's funny. I, um, I, th- I think women are better clients. <laughs> they, well, they, they tend to be more level headed. Yeah, they tend to be more level headed. Um, they tend to stick stick to the plan as opposed to chasing the hot tips of the day. And and um, and, and, and it seems to me a lot of times that they outperform, um, you know, their men counterparts just by sticking to the plan and, and not over over panicking and, and not overreacting, you know. The only clients that I have that like to jump in and jump out are men. That's and, interesting. And well, and research shows, right, women as investors, especially those who've taken the time to educate themselves, mm-hmm. are usually get better returns. Right. We tend to invest for longer. Um, we tend to be more diverse. You know, I think a lot of guys, and, and, and this is not to just stereotype because I'm not, there's a lot of men out there who are but This is brilliant. based on data. Yes, right. Brilliant investors. But yes, the data shows that's exactly the way that this goes. There's also, unfortunately, a pay gap in, in some recent research out shows that this continues, right? Especially for women in, in the upper echelons, right? Those C-suite positions. Yes, they're finally kind of cracking those glass ceilings, but they're still getting paid 75 cents on the dollar for what their male counterparts are getting paid. And so if that is you, right, you feel like you probably have men that are working in the office with you, same job, same position, but you might be getting paid less. Well, that makes planning for retirement all the more critical for you. And also, um, hey, go to your boss and make that point. Well, and that's true. And a lot of it, I think, has to do, you know, there's a lot of statistical data out there that, you know, the women, the different professions that you choose, but there's also a pay gap with same same types of positions within corporate America. The other thing you need to consider as well is that two out of three caregivers are women. So yeah. when you're creating your financial plan, um, whether it's raising kids or an aging parent, um, you need to figure that into your financial plan as well. Because statistically, once again, women are primarily the caregivers um, in those in those instances. And all of that costs money and yeah. a lot of your time. So you want to make sure that you keep that in mind as well. Well, and just from a very practical standpoint, right, I, I I do things differently because of this. So just from Social Security, right, Social Security is based on your 35 highest earning years. Well, when my kids were little, I worked part-time for several years. My earnings during that time were significantly lower. I might have to work a couple of extra years to bump those off of my earning record in order to increase my Social Security. It's something that as a woman, you know, it's a decision I made and I would not change it for the world. I loved that time with my kids, but just on a very practical standpoint, from a financial standpoint, I'll have to make some changes later on. It's just good to kind of know those things. Yeah. And I think, once again, it's different for everybody. You know, we just touched on some some different areas that are, are things to consider, and maybe that doesn't apply to you, but it just makes you have to understand that you need to tailor a financial plan for your specific situation, your, your specific family history, your specific income levels, uh, because not everybody's the same, and there certainly are some gender differences. Great point. Here's a Simply Money point. Not every retirement plan is the same, and that goes for women and for men. So no matter who you are, take into account your individual situation when you are planning. A new report about car loans has us really concerned about you and your money. The reason why and our solution for it next in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.
You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner. Steve Sprovac is off, and we are joined by Andy Schaefer tonight. You know, if you shopped around for a car, well, you know one thing. Prices are through the roof right now. Of course, all the supply chain problems have caused just a huge issue in this area. Andy, you know something about this. Yeah, I ordered a, a car uh, uh, last, not last, this past September, but the September before that, and I still don't have it. What? <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, I think it's due for delivery in the spring at some point. But, you know, just going through that process, it's crazy how expensive cars have gotten. And not only that, you know, there's a I've, we have a coworker, Amy. Her name is Caitlin, and she just traded in her Jeep for a new Jeep. Mm-hmm. And I got to check it out today. And the other thing that's going on right now is she traded in her old Jeep and was able able to get above Blue Book value for that because – there's a lot of demand for cars out there. And so not only are these dealerships buying used cars at premiums and reselling them at an even higher premium, it's hard to get a car for a reasonable price these days. And what we're finding is, you know, you're starting to take, uh, you know, consumers are starting to take out auto loans that uh, stretch beyond six years, according to a new re- the new reports that we're getting from consumer finance. Six years, right? No, right? It's <laughs> yeah. like we are throwing all the flags on this one because think about it. I mean, and, and I get that right now. Yes, you, we usually say you drive that car off the lot and it's worth less by the time you hit the street. We're not currently in that environment, but this is a very kind of artificial uh, short period in time. This is not the norm. And I think a lot of people who just want to buy cars during this time, or it's like buying houses during this time too, right? You see how much you can get for what you currently have and you don't think about what you're getting into right. next. Well, yes. You can get the payment down to where it's affordable, but if you're paying for that car six years later, it may not run anymore. And, and most cars, you know, have come a long way. And yes, it probably will be, but car values will, might go down over the next few years. Then you're going to be underwater. Yeah, but I feel for people too because you know there, you know, I had a hundred thousand miles over a hundred thousand miles in my car before the pandemic, right? Yeah. And so that's been two years. And so like I'm getting up there and where I need a car. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are in that boat too, where, Hey, I need a car. I have to pay a premium for this, even if it's a, a Corolla or whatever, right? right? You're still paying more than what you probably expected to pay for it. And that's, that's hard. So, you know, you still have to be able to get around and you still need transportation, but financially speaking, if it, if you have to have a six year loan or a seven year loan, you probably want to look at a car that's less expensive. Yeah, I don't think you can ultimately afford that car. And we have a rule that I think is just a great kind of rule of thumb to live by. It's our 24-10 rule. Uh, you have to put 20% down, right? If you don't have that money, you can't afford that car. And we would say uh, the payment is less than 10% of your gross monthly income. And that's your payment, any, um, you know, your insurance, everything kind of combined together. And then you do not take out that loan for any more than four years. If those are the kinds of decisions if you're living within those parameters when buying a car, you're going to be okay. And, and Andy, you make a great point. You don't have a lot of time, right? You need something soon. But there's lots of people who just, you know, decide that they're ready to buy a new car. They want an upgrade. Now, now maybe not the time for that. I, you know, my daughter's 16, uh, and I feel for parents. Is Grace 16 already? Yes, she just turned 16. <laughs> and luckily, my dad several, several years ago promised her um, a car that, you know, that he's had for several years. He's, he's giving it to her. Very grateful for that because I'm talking to other parents who are saying, you know, listen, like an entry level car, six, seven, eight thousand dollars, you can't find them for under a hundred, you know, don't have like 150,000 miles on them. So we're in this really weird place right now with cars. Well, and the other thing I want to caution, uh, caution you on, Amy, and, and everybody out there is that um, I've had some friends that have bought those online delivery cars before. Yeah. 
And sometimes those titles get lost in the shuffle. And I have I have a couple friends that are in lawsuits right now um, because they thought they were going to get a good deal by getting a car online, and the provider can't provide the uh, the title itself. So you know everything is more expensive now. Not only new cars are more expensive, but you know also used cars are more expensive. And the average amount borrowed for the fourth quarter is reaching you know twenty seven thousand dollars. That's an increase of twenty percent. So you know the monthly average car payment is now about four hundred eighty eight dollars, and that's a record high. So. Uh, just try to pay attention to what you can afford and try not to overspend in that regard. And, Andy, everyone's probably wondering, what the heck kind of car are you buying that takes two years to get in? Can you, like, clue people yeah, in? Yeah, it's, it's a Ford Bronco. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so not every car is taking two years. No, but, of no. course, Ford re-releasing the Bronco after all these years. Huge wait list for that. We can't wait to see you driving yours. Thanks, You've Andy. been listening to Simply Money here on 55 KRC. We are the talk station.